Hey, everybody. My name is Rob Shear, and I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm also an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, an author of a book, A Forever Family. But most importantly, I am the father of four amazing children. Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right here where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a social media consultant, a radio host, a podcast producer, and a mother of two children. See, our country's foster care system is shattered, and this podcast is about how we as a community can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. So Dana, today we are so lucky. We have my friend, and I'm so happy that I get to call her my friend, Janice Goldwater, who you are the executive director of Adoptions Together, but also the founder. Am I correct? Yes, absolutely. I started Adoptions Together in 1990, so we are hitting 30 years. That's amazing. And it's amazing. such a joy to be here with you, Rob. Oh, thank I also you. consider you my friend. Oh, so. thank you. Thank you. And and Dana, you know, one thing that, that I met Jan- Janice a while ago, several, several, several years ago, but I've always followed Adoptions Together. I think it is an amazing organization. I think anyone who's listening, go to adoptionstogether.org as you're hearing this podcast and learn about how important this organization is. So Janice, what I'd like to do is I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your journey, how you got started, and then why you started Adoptions Together. Yeah, certainly. Thank you, Rob. I started, I am actually a licensed social worker, and I started my career in mental health. And then when I became a mother, I realized that the power of parenthood was like nothing I ever knew. So I found my way to adoption. I worked in an agency that did domestic adoption, that did international adoption, and I found there were some real gaps in the community. For healthy infants of majority races, there was every opportunity to be adopted and raised in a healthy, stable, stable, loving family. For children of other races, for children that had health conditions, for children who were older, they faced years in foster care. So it's kind of hard to believe that in the 1980s, there was those kinds of immense disparity in our community. And yes, it existed. Um, So I started Adoptions Together with the mission of welcoming every child who is in need of a family because I believe that family is the core, the foundation of our society. And so that we would welcome every child who is in need of a family regardless of age, race, health, any single variable. And also we would welcome a broad base of mature, stable parents or prospective parents. So back when I started, if you were single, if you identified as LGBT, There was no agency that was there to say, come, let me look at you as a whole human being. So Adoptions Together was there to welcome a broad base of adults and a broad base of children who needed permanency. The other piece with my background in mental health was I saw that our population was much more highly represented in the mental health system. So I was curious about that. What is it that we could do to strengthen the well-being of these children and families? Was there... Was there unique services that we needed to design and develop? So I started with the mission not only of welcoming every child, but providing services 
that were unique and tailored to be culturally competent to the needs of our population. Wow. So so a couple of things I definitely want to go back to. I, I love the fact that when you, you said the core is family, and we, we all know that. I mean, as a kid who grew up in the system and, and the, the late 70s, early 80s, all I ever wanted was a family. And, you know, becoming a dad to four children out of the foster care system, I know that the yearning that they only wanted to be a family. But what I really love, and Dana, I don't know if you got this or not, but I mean, just think about 30 years ago when, you know, we didn't even say we were gay. You know, right. I mean, the oh, fact absolutely. is me as a gay man, I yeah. mean, that just wasn't talked about. But could you imagine? And I actually remember coming out in the late 80s and I remember and I write about this in my book as I talk about my the one thing that broke my heart the most is that I thought I would never be a dad. I thought because I was a gay man, I wouldn't be a dad. And to know that an organization like yours, who really plowed the way to show that we all are equal and children don't care, that they just want to to have a loving home and a loving family. So your ki- the kids, and, and I want to touch base on the mental health aspect because... I have so much to say about that, by the way. <laughs> but but let's go back to the adoption part. So you you have kids who come into your agencies from birth up to the age of? 21. 21. Yeah, so we actually do both voluntary infant adoption. We work with parents who are pregnant at a time they don't believe that parenting their child is something that is in their child's best interest. They come to us for counseling. Some who come for counseling um, realize that they can provide for their child's needs and we connect them with community resources and they are able to parent their children themselves. Others choose adoption and when they choose adoption for their children, they pick an adoptive adoptive parents and most of the time have open adoptions that was my next question so i so my four children we um we had closed adoptions um because that's what the there was required but what we did is we told the parents we wanted it to be open that we felt that the more love children get the better children are at the end so absolutely you know i agree with you 100 percent. so through your agency about how many kids a year are adopted well let me just come back to the to the infants are the first okay second group of children we work with that are kids that are in state foster care. So we work both locally and across the country with kids that are waiting in foster care. We recruit parents, we train them, we provide their home studies, and then we help facilitate the matching process of them with children across the country. So when I talk about, you know, children up to the age of 21, those would be those youth who are residing in foster care. Another project we have in Baltimore City, it's a family finding program. So we work with kids that are in foster care in Baltimore City, and we do intensive uh, family finding. So we go back uh, through their lives, and we find anybody who they've had a relationship with, and then we work on reconnecting them. We have an awesome detective on our team who used to be a bounty hunter. Um, she's not, not a bounty hunter anymore. She's a family finder, and she's so awesome. Uh, oh my gosh! I okay, okay. So time out now. I love that. I love that. So I sit on a I sit on a committee um, for that. It's up in Minnesota. You've seen I've gone to this Minnesota. Yeah. And this is all what this is about is about um, doing more kinship than putting children in foster care and and. Janice, by the way, you're the first person I've ever talked to about that. I didn't realize I love to hear about this because, you know, I think our government should be investing money because what I'm what I'm hearing throughout the country as I travel, um, 
families who are meeting children that are they're related to in foster care, they didn't know they were in foster care. Absolutely. So, so tell me about some of those stories that you know. We had an incredible story of a 13-year-old um, young man who was living with his mother and stepfather. He had some significant behavioral issues, so much so that his mother said, I can't manage this child. Um, his father, who had significant significant anger issues, and she said, he, she called him a, quote, deadbeat dad, um, had not been in his life since he was an infant. So, um, and this child now, at the age of 13, was exhibiting a lot of behaviors that were quite similar to his father. So, Anyway, when we dove in and we did the family finding, we actually found him. He, he lived in North Carolina. He's married, has a, another child, living very stably. And he had no idea that his son was in foster care. And he said, oh, my God, I totally understand what he's going through. I was like that when I was younger. Let me come and let me get involved in his life. He actually... He and his wife and their 10-year-old daughter moved back to Maryland, and he did the work necessary to get custody of his son, and his son is out of foster care, and they're absolutely thriving. It's been about three years wow. since that happened. I, that is amazing. Yeah. Is that, oh, I my mean, God, I love that story. that by digging a little deeper, digging a little deeper, that there's often relatives and resources out there who had no idea that kids were in foster care. And so I think, I agree with you 100%, we have to change the paradigm that we look at children as being islands, being on an island when they come into care because they're only connected to somebody on the surface as to who's behind that. Yeah. You know, we're part of tribes. Who's in our tribe? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree 100% with that. And I think that, you know, we're so... We, we're the first ones to jump and take a kid away from a family, um, but we're not there to support the child to figure out why do you have that bond and let's find. I'm mean, again, I, I say this all the time, reunification's not for everybody, um, but I believe that before a child is put up for adoption that there are steps that should happen. Number one, you know, the child comes into the system. Number two, we do everything in our power to find a some type of kin and give them the opportunity. I mean, and a good example, Dana, was my children. We we did that in the very beginning as we found relatives and the relatives didn't want them. And um, or when the relatives, the one relative had a background check, there was like no way this this child's going to go to that relative. So but they had, you know, we we did that. We you checked it off the right. box. And I see that adoptions together, that is what you guys are doing as well. Yeah. And so with this with this project that we have in partnership with Baltimore City Department of Social Services, we're actually working with about uh, 60 to 70 children each year. We've been doing it now for, I believe we're in our ninth year doing this work. And it's just phenomenal. The other thing we do is... is on the front end, when children come to the attention of the department and they're looking at coming into care, our investigator helps identify if there's family out there in the community that can be considered as options for the kids. Yeah, I love that. Now, now one of the things that, that when we've talked about this on the podcast before is that in most states, kinship is treated differently than foster parents. And so one of the things that I've, I've noticed is that People have don't step up because they can't financially afford it. Um, what do what do what do you how do you address that? I mean, it's really a challenge. And if you think about it, how crazy it is that we say, "Family, you're too poor to care for your child. We'll take 
him or her away and then we'll pay somebody else to take care of them. Yeah. There's something right really because wrong to with clarify that. for people who don't know, kinship a lot of times they don't get the same stipend, the same money right. that a foster family that's not related would get. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And that that I find that absolutely asinine. I had no idea about that yeah. until it's we a, were doing a podcast recently with another guest and I said, "Wait, what?" Yeah. Well, yeah. you know what the reason is is that it the assumption is made that people are bad and they're going to take advantage of the system. And so if you're going to give money to the relative, why wouldn't people just give their kids to their relatives so they could care for them? I mean, it's just, it's sort of what many people have said against, against any kind of public assistance, that if you give someone public assistance, they're going to take advantage of it. So it's sort of like a punitive thing. And so, so who in the end, at the end of the day, who suffers the child? That's right. I mean, let's let's be let's be. I mean, who suffers the child? And we all know that social workers, and as you being a social, they're the most underpaid, overworked people. Um, but they're also very good at judging a situation. And if someone is taking advantage of the situation, they're going to be the first ones to raise their hand. That's and right. I believe that that number of of people taking advantage is so minute compared to the money that we are investing and i mean look we we've talked about this kids in our system two out of three are dead in jail you know 30,000 will age out this year 70% will be homeless in two years who do you think pays for that absolutely absolutely i feel like we need to step up and pay now or we're going to pay later yes. 25,000 times as much yeah and you know so and so with our kids in our family finding program if there's not families or somebody in their past, then we recruit for adoptive parents for them outside of um, their system. And we also look for parents for children that are in foster care, both locally and around the country. So each year we bring about 18 children. We place about 18 children out of foster care into um, permanent adoptive families locally. We settle about 70 in our Baltimore City project, um, wow. and then we'll do about 30 infants um, that are settled in adoptive homes and probably work with three times, or well, actually we work with about 200 expectant parents each year, and of that, approximately 30 of them will choose adoption for their children. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Those numbers are unbelievable. Those, you, when, you know, I'm a stats guy, so when I hear those numbers, it's just, it blows my mind how much, you know, you guys as Adoptions Together are really helping kids. You know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, and, and we're going to come back to that because, you know, we're getting ready in November. You know, November is National Adoption Month, and it's when everybody wants to shake and say, hey, let's adopt children. And we're actually doing a marathon where we are packing cases from um new for 24 hours the old jerry lewis marathon yeah. i always oh say God, we're gonna do that awesome. but one of the things that we would love to see happen is that we would love to see a, a adoption be finalized here in our center and the reason for that is because we have enough pr that's coming out that i really do believe and i'm and i say this all the time the media has to know about this. This is how you're, we're going to succeed is people tell our story and then they tell someone and they tell someone and they tell someone. And that's how we're going to get people to realize adoption for children who are ready for adoption is truly the way to go here in our country. Absolutely. Here in our country. So, so we're going to get back to that. But let's talk a little bit about your, the, the mental health aspect of your support for your – because Reese and I, when we adopted, um, one of the things we were really, really – 
blown away by and disappointed is that once that judge signed that adoption decree, we were literally just thrown out on an island. So right. here we were with four kids that had been in the system for years that had, you know, we were their third home. Um, and the next thing you know, we we hit our goal, which is we wanted to adopt and we adopted them. But then it was literally like, okay, you're on your own. And, you know, now we fast forward. It's the kids have been with us for uh, 11 years. You know, I have I have one son who's been in and out of every, you know, he's several psychiatric hospitals. He's, you know, it's been hard. It's been hard. And we feel like we have no support. So tell me about what your agency does to help families like mine. Yeah, absolutely. You know, our tagline is every child, every family, every step of the way. And what you're talking about is the every step of the way. You know, adoption is a one-time legal process with lifelong implications. And so for our children who learned very early on in life that their needs were not going to be met, that they were not safe, and that the world was not a, a safe place, it changes their development. So they, that has to be relearned. You know, many of our children have had prenatal trauma through uh, drug exposure, through alcohol, through highly toxically stressful pregnancies, and then they're born and they're separated from all the sounds and the smells and the sensory experiences that as human beings were programmed and we already know. So our children are born with some extra work to do to become healthy, whole human beings. And depending on the amount of trauma that they've experienced both prenatally and postnatally, it has to do with how much work has to be done. So we recognize that. And what we do at Adoptions Together, we also have an arm, we call it Family Works Together. And Family Works Together is our counseling and our educational and our support programs that provide a broad base of counseling services to children and families. We take what we call an attachment-focused approach where we think about trauma, we think about what's going on in the brain, we think about the role that adoption plays, you know, we think about the, the language and the narrative and the story a child understands and is telling themselves, how the world treats our families. I don't know about you, but for me as an adoptive family, I found sometimes we're treated a little bit differently by the world, that our children might not be our real children. Yes, they are real. Yes, yes, I've, I've been, I yeah. totally agree we are truly treated differently. So this program that you're talking about, which, by the way, I, I find it so fascinating, Do is this offered to only people that adopt with Adoptions no. Together? Mm -mm. So we actually have a few different ways that someone could come to us. We work with, in partnership with Child and Family Services in D.C. so that anybody who's achieved permanency through Child and Family Services can get post-permanency support services without cost through our program in the District of Columbia. We have an office on Kennedy Street, Northwest. Okay, so so first of all, you, you want to know why you, to donate, okay? I will tell you, Adoptions Together, which, by the way, you're a 501c3, you're a nonprofit. You know, I think it's so important for people to visit the website. You know, maybe you're not up to for adoption. Maybe you're, you're, you can't be a foster parent, you feel, at this moment, but you can donate. And to, to be able to fund this particular program, so, so you say in DC. So for instance, I adopted all four of my children from the District of Columbia. Um, they all were in DC Child and Family Services. So I would be entitled to... Yes, to, Robin, I'm wow. so sorry that wow. somehow 
that information never got to you. No, well, actually, I take that back because I've met you and you brought me that information and you have been wonderful about that. And I want people to know that, that, you know, adoptions together, you know, as much for many years, we felt the door was closed until I met Janice and, you know, learning about what adoption together offers. Um, it's it's. I feel like there's someone I can always reach out to um, because I do believe that there's families that we they don't know what to do. I mean, we happen to be very fortunate. We have good insurance for the kids and so great doctors. But I feel that there are people out there who feel they have nothing. So how? Yeah. So anyway, so we welcome anybody in the community who was touched by adoption, by guardianship, um, families who are struggling. So we have an office in fact, right across the street that we just opened up on Shady Grove Road, we have an office in Prince George's County um, in Calverton. We've got an office in Baltimore County, and we've got one in Alexandria, Virginia, and then finally the one in the district. So anybody in our community who is listening and wants support for your children, know that you're welcome to call Adoptions Together, and we have the capacity to serve your family and understand um, the unique needs. Wow, I, I didn't realize they had that many offices. Yeah, it's that's like, incredible. So, so if I'm if I'm thinking about, you know what, I'm 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 ready to adopt, and um, and you know, just like Rob and Steve, who we were. Um, we did a podcast with they they were talking about how they didn't want infants they had no desire to do an infant you know I know Reese and I are considering um, maybe starting the the foster care process again and we definitely do not want infants Um, tell me about some of these older kids that that are in need of homes sure so there's actually about a hundred and 12 or more thousand children across the United States that are sitting in foster care waiting to be adopted. Um, These are children who generally are school age onto teens. The older, the longer a child is in foster care, the longer they stay. And at Adoptions Together, we are really committed to making sure that nobody ages out of foster care without a family. in In my opinion, that's a total failure of our system. It's I mean, it's just, it's a travesty. So um, there's, again, school-age children, there's sibling groups, there's young teens, older teens, there's just a whole variety. There's girls, there's boys, and there's all kinds of kids. And by the way, they're all races, too. And all races, yes. Yes. I mean, for some reason, people think that this is a black thing and that all the majority of kids in foster care are black and that they're all these, you know, as they consider them bad kids, which, by the way, I say this all the time, there's no such thing as a bad kid. It's a child who needs to be redirected, you know. You know, all of our kids, whether we have them, as they say, naturally or we go through adoption – all of us come with baggage, you know, and to hear that your organization gives the support, you know, gosh, why wouldn't we look into this? Oh, you know, and one of the things we do all the time is look behind the behavior. You know, the brain is the boss of the behavior. And so we're always curious, why is she acting that way? Why is he acting that way? And what might we do differently so we can find a way to understand and connect with them? You know, there's psychoeducation is a huge piece of it. I mean, you know, as a parent, sometimes you see behaviors that are sort of surprising, shall we say. And then you think, why would he be acting this way? Or why would she be acting this way? Our job is to help 
translate, to help you understand, and then to work together to create a strategy where we're not going to try harder. We're going to try differently with a new way of looking at things. I love that. I I absolutely love that. My one son said to me um, just about a year ago, um, I had... I, and by the way, I tell this all the time. I'm not a perfect parent. And I said to my one son, um, I just wish I had the old. And I said his name back. And he looked at me and he said, why can't you just take the one that you have now? Wow. And I really hit home for me because I thought to myself, I, I you know, he was doing, he was in, acting in a way that I was like, where is this coming from? And that made me rethink about how I approached him and thought, you know what? I I just have to talk about, you know, yeah, let's deal with the son I have now and stop thinking about the, yeah, I love that, that you do, you said that. Well, and you know, and the fact that you could hear him say that, you could hear it, you could reflect upon it, and then you could think, wow, maybe there's a different way for me to think about it. Then you were able to give him what he needed, which was understanding and compassion, and then you you strengthen your connection. So that's the kind of thing we really work with parents to do, is to be able to hear and to see. I mean, all of us adults are going to get big, strong feelings in response to behaviors that any one of us do to each other that put that are you know that push us away but when we have the capacity and we it has to be learned um we so we adopted our fourth child at the age of 10 oh my gosh yeah we <laughs> had more um, like me yeah we had um three born to us and when our oldest was going to college we um want we chose to adopt a child that was younger than our youngest child who was 11 at the time so we adopted a 10-year-old, and she was the best teacher I've ever had in my life. I had been a social worker for a lot of years, but she, who had had very difficult things happen early on in her life, she was the one who taught me to be self-reflective. She taught me, she, she gave me the opportunity to completely rethink how to be a parent and how to be a parent to a child who learned that the world was not a safe place, that adults were not to be trusted, because what kind of a child has is disappointed constantly by adults? And then you're like, oh, sweetheart, it's fine. You're home. We love you. And it's like, really? Why should I believe you? Right. Every other adult has disappointed me. How so, long did it take? How long did it take for there that that level of, or maybe it still hasn't. It ha- it I, today at the age of twenty seven. It I have the most loving, kind, responsible, caring daughter that any human being could ever dream of. I feel so blessed and so lucky every day that I have the four children that I do, and that I have. You know, my baby, who's now 27, who is just... First of all, you look way too good to have a 27-year-old. <laughs> who is just, you know. just an absolutely gentle, kind, loving, empathic human being. Um, and she is making our world a better place. She's a responsible citizen, and she works. I love that. And I love it that. Just, and it was about 14 years of really... Yeah. hard work and it required a lot of support from the community and in, and in fact what I was able to do was to channel the rich lessons that I learned 
through being her parent and interfacing, like you, with every type of institution in the community. And sometimes it wasn't so good. Yeah. In fact, often it was terrible. And so training is a really big piece of what we do at Adoptions Together is we go out in the community and we train school professionals. We train um, psychiatric hospitals, therapists, hospitals in general about the unique needs that our population has and to really um, rethink, you know, rethink what they're seeing to better support and provide more effective treatment. Yeah. Yeah. See, and you know, Dana, I think that's such a a key aspect of, of what she said, training, you know, this whole podcast has been about educating our public and, you know, not every kid fits in a box. You know, and that doesn't matter whether a child is from the system or a child is from another adoption agency or a child, you know, is foster care or a child is naturally born. Not every kid fits in a box. And I'm so happy to hear that Adoptions Together that, you know, for those of you who are listening, you know the fact that adoption is just one key of of success, in my opinion. And and the common thing I want to say, you know, as we're wrapping this podcast up is that, We've now done how many, I don't know how many podcasts we've done, but the one common thing I've heard almost every single person said, no child should age out of the system. And if they did, we failed. Absolutely. No child should ever have to navigate the world by themselves. Imagine that. Yeah. No, I, I agree 100%. I think it is the, the, it's the worst thing that could ever happen. I always tell people all the time, two of the basic things that we should always do for kids in the system is financially set them up for success and, and set them up for success education-wise. But when I say education, I mean complete wraparound services. Give them that net of love. And that's what kids yearn for. And, and as you said earlier, if we don't do it now, we're going to end up doing it. I mean, I don't think the realization. So, so Janice, tell me, how do you guys get funded? You know, well, you know, it's interesting. So, I started Adoptions Together, and it's only because the community has embraced our work that we've been able to settle close to eight thousand children in permanent families. Eight thousand children who now have somebody that they're connected to, that, and they become. A functioning members of society. We do a lot of fundraising. We have events. We have individual donors. We have corporate donors. We get grants from foundations. We have some fees for service. We have government contracts. Good. And um, we contract with institutions that hire us to come and provide services for them. But we really turn to the community to support our work. We could not welcome every child who needs us if the community did not step up and support us. Every dollar that's donated to Adoptions Together goes directly to setting a, a, settling a child in a permanent family. Wow. that's that, I love that. Love it. I absolutely love that. I mean, the fact that I say this quite often as as having comfort cases in a nonprofit and, and you, we all should be working together and we all, you know, I, I'm telling you as we're if you're listening to this podcast, go to their website, adoptiontogether.org, you know, see how you can be a part of, you know, changing a child's life. And and again, I say it, if you cannot foster and cannot adopt, you know, at least go and donate, at least go and donate. Janice, I will tell you, I love you to death. I am so excited that you are on our, our podcast and I want you to come back because I think there's a lot more that we can talk about. There is, you know, I keep adding the, to the list of people, but I said to Dana, I want to get a round table together. I want to get a 
bunch of like-minded people who really are looking to change the system because, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think that you want to do adoptions. You just want a a child to be placed with a loving family and home. At the end of the day, I want a sane, connected society. You know, I want our world to be a kinder, more gentle place. And I do believe that by connecting children in safe, secure environments, that's how we're going to get there. I agree. I agree. So we always end our podcast um, asking the same question um, to each of our our guests. And so, Dana, you have the question you want to ask, Janice? If, If you could change two things about the foster care system right now, what would they be? Wow, that's such a good question. If I could change two things about the foster care system, what would they be? One, I would say that the first placement would be the final placement, unless a child, and and then we would work together. It would be open and connected to a child's first family, and we would work together towards sustaining that child where they are. Um, And secondly, that Every child would be seen as the unique human being as they are, that they are as they come into the system, as they come in as at, with every step that they take, that they're seen as a unique human being that they are and recognizing that every move that we make as adults as we take them to safety is being encoded within their brain and changes their worldview. So we would move really carefully and strategically. I love that. I yeah, love that. That's you know, a great we're, we're, we're so, we have Janice Goldwater, the executive director and founder of Adoptions Together, which is getting ready to celebrate 30 years. And I loved hearing that number. 8,000 children yes. have found their forever family because of your organization. You know, again, we have been so lucky. We have such heroes on our show. And Janice, you're truly a hero to me. Thanks, you have Sarah. sacrificed so much. Um, and again, visit adoptionstogether.org and see how you can help. Because one thing you said about community, and I say this all the time, we our community is not our zip code. It's our human race. Our human and, race. and we all must come together to make our human race better. And to do that means we lift each other up. And I hope today on this podcast, we have lifted you up. We have lifted up adoptions together. As you hear this podcast, I hope you share it, share it, share it. Um, because this is the only way we're going to educate each other is by hearing amazing stories like yours, Jana. So thank you. Thank you, Dana. It's really such an honor and treat to be here. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. And check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. So everybody, we want to hear your stories. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Shear, Instagram at Rob underscore Shear, and on Twitter at Rob Shear 6. And please share this podcast and leave us a review. Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.